guest speaker today, one of God's tried and proven servants. He is not from afar. He lives right here in Las Vegas and is the pastor of the second largest congregation in the city. For those of you who don't realize it, in the city of Las Vegas, we have on every Sabbath 13 different congregations that are meeting. 13 congregations. Several of them are Hispanic, and uh, Pastor Juarez, our speaker today, is their coordinator. In fact, he is the coordinator for all of our Hispanic churches throughout the conference, but his is the mother church, the Maranatha Seventh-day Adventist Church, and uh, that church over on Washburn is a beacon in the city and has a membership that is comprised of various Latin American countries. I don't know exactly how many, but uh, it's a multiplicity of countries all together, Guatemala, Nicaragua, Costa Rica, Mexico, Venezuela, and so forth. And they're all there under his very, very capable leadership. I have found him to be a man of like spirit. In our meetings, in our association, he and I connect beautifully, and I've always admired him as a man with a tender heart and yet a strong, intrepid spirit. He's a man who is very well educated. He has, as his terminal degree, a PhD in religion from Andrews University, but he has a master's in religion from there as well, and his BA in theology from Montemorelos, which is our very well-known institution, university in Mexico. He has been in the ministry for over 30 years. He's written a number of books, as you can imagine would be the case with a man of his academic acquirements. And he has three children and two grandchildren and a devoted and loving wife who is not here today, but who's coming later. That's good. I told him we serve food after church every Sabbath. <laughs> so we'll have a chance to meet Mrs. Juarez and to fellowship with her as well. And this is a very important occasion, brothers and sisters, because the, Mont the Mountain View, pardon me, the Maranatha Church is connected with us in our student enrollment. They will have six or seven students at the school, it looks like. And they will be involved and there'll be a lot of exchange and a lot of uh, interaction. So it's good that we get a chance to meet their pastor and that he get a chance to meet us. I'm very pleased to be able to have Pastor Armando Juarez to occupy the pulpit today. And I ask for him our prayers as he brings us the word that God has given him. After we shall have had our next message and song, we will hear from my friend, a true preacher of the word, a scholar, a father, a husband, and a Christian gentleman of a leader, Dr. Armando Juarez.
I cannot say good morning because it's past 12. And thank you, Dr. Rock, because you gave me some courage when I saw 12. It's supposed to be it's supposed to be finished in the worship, but he told me that we have a, until midnight. <laughs> uh, it will take a little bit longer, but not too much. Uh, when he invited me to come and share with you the message, I told him you are you make me uh, you place me uh, in a situation to be in fear and tremble. Uh, because he told me, be a peace. You know, to preach to be a peace is a quite a great thing, an honor. And thank you for the privilege of sharing with you the word of God. Uh, when I was thinking in what to preach, <clears throat> I thought, for VIPs, maybe I need to speak about the VIP of the prophets. Daniel. You know, Daniel is the most unique prophet in the Bible. He's quite different. Even in the classification, he's not classified among the prophets in the Hebrew uh, literature. He's classified among the writings of the wise because his book is considered the book of wisdom. And when we speak about Daniel, usually we think in beasts. We think in a statue or an image. We speak of several things. But if I ask you, what is the central message of this prophet in this book? What will you say? Let's say, if I ask, and it's not working? If I ask, and I am not a believer, and I ask you as a believer, what is the message in the book of Daniel what will be your answer? Okay, I hope, okay, now it's working. Okay, can somebody help me? What will be your answer if I ask, what is the main or central message of Daniel? Somebody? God is in control, yes, what? The time of the end, the end of the end of the time, she is telling me in Spanish. Okay, anybody? Yeah. Okay. Faith. Faith. Oh, that's great. That's great. Now, another question, just for curiosity. How many of you have read the whole book of Daniel from chapter 1 through 12? Raise your hands, please. Raise your hand. Hi. Okay. Thank you. It's the, the, the same that in Spanish. When I ask in the churches, how many of you have read the whole book of Daniel? Half or less than the half have read the whole book of Daniel. I can tell you that most of the kids know the first chapters of Daniel from 1 to 6. And even I can ask, what is uh, in chapter 1? What, uh, what is the content of the chapter 1? Some of the kids can tell me. 
When Daniel is taken to captivity and taken to the palace of King Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah. Chapter 2 speaks about a big what? A big image. Chapter 3. Three boys, three young men in the fiery furnace. Correct. Chapter 4. It's about a king who became what? Crazy. Yeah, King Nebuchadnezzar. Chapter 5. Do you remember a writing on the wall? Yeah, chapter 5. Chapter 6. Daniel in a what? In the lion's den. Chapter 7. And now we start with problems. <laughs> yeah. So... Daniel the prophet is very unique, but you know, when God inspired Daniel, he had a message for his people, and I want to share with you his message for us. Just to remind, remind you, Daniel was written, or the story of Daniel starts 600 years before Jesus was born. So we are talking about a man who used to live 2,500 years ago. And you know, this is a very interesting place. We know about the news here because it's called Iraq now, but in those times it, it was called Babylon. And this is Babylon, here is New, uh, Jerusalem. Then it was taken captive and taken all the way up and then by the uh, Euphrates River into, into Babylon. Now, let me explain to you a little bit in order that you may understand the book of, the structure of the book of Daniel. We need to understand by comparison the, the difference between what is uh, English literature and, and Spanish. It's basically the same than in English and Hebrew lit literature. Um, the system in our poetry in English as well in Spanish is that we use metric and rhyme. But for the Hebrew, it's quite a different thing because they use metric and parallel. Yes. Let's uh, talk about in English so that you, you must uh, catch the difference. Uh, this is one hymn that is, you, uh, I believe everybody knows. Come thou fount of every blessing. Tune my heart into sing thy grace. Stream of mercy never ceasing. Call for songs of loudest praise. Blessing, ceasing, grace, praise. This is rhyme. If you count the the uh, the cent, uh, how do you say uh, the syllables, it will be eight in the first, seven in the second, eight and seven. So this is uh, English literature. But now, let's see how uh, works in Hebrew. Uh, Hebrew uses four different. Uh, parallels, system of parallels, and from them, other combination. But let's talk about just the basic ones. Uh, par synonym parallel, antithetic parallel, synthetic parallel, and inverted or chiasm. Okay, uh, the most common one, when you read the Bible, you will always find that there's one sentence, and the following one, it says the same, but in different words. Just have an example. The heavens declare the glory of God. We are talking about Psalm 91, uh, 19, 1. And then you see, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Heavens, skies declare, proclaim the glory of the God, the work of his hands. This is synonym parallel. Now let's talk about antithetic parallel. It's very common, in, especially in the book of Proverbs, but it's also used in other parts of the Bible. Uh, he who ignores discipline comes to poverty and shame. This is one declaration, the following one. But whoever heeds correction is honor. You know, it's antithetic because he's uh, talking about the one who ignores and then the one who heeds and the difference in, that, in them. And uh, in order to understand the book of Daniel, we need to understand basically what is synthetic parallel. Uh, 
we know, especially Psalm 19, uh, this part. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The, st the statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. You will see that the, to the topic that they are talking about is the same, about the law in different um, uh, synonyms, law, testimony, statutes, and commandments, all is about the law. But every time they mention the law, the following one, they will add something new. And then another one, but something new. Talking about the same subject, but adding something new. And if you read the book of Daniel, you will see, especially in prophecy, that the chapter 2 speaks about the statue of the kingdoms, the different metals. Chapter 7 will, uh, will speak the same, but adding some different things. Four kingdoms and the kingdom of God is the same, but adding just a different thing. And when you read chapter 8, they will add, continue speaking about the same, but adding a different thing. And then comes Daniel 7, Daniel 11, and Daniel 12. And every chapter is talking about the same, but adding something new in, the, in that section. That is the uh, structure of Daniel in a uh, uh, synthetic parallel. But now, let's talk about uh, the inverted parallel or uh, that is called chiasm. It's called inverted because the first sentence is in relation with the last sentence. The second one, when the antepenal, uh, and then the center. This is not a perfect parallel. The perfect parallel comes when it comes to the center and there is no relationship with the other one. That is the center. And we go to chapter 7, we will notice that, but we don't have to talk about this. But you can see the Aramaic section, because the book of Daniel, as you will notice uh, later, it was written in two languages. It's a bilingual uh, book. Okay, here we go. This is called, the literature structure of Daniel speaks about the palistrophic chiasm because uh, there are two chiasms. Uh, I don't have time to explain, but the word chiasm comes from the word he in Greek that he makes an X. And you will notice those X here is a double uh, X. That means uh, palistrophe in Greek means repeated. So the book of Daniel has an historic section from chapter 1 to chapter 6. And the Aramaic section is from chapter 2 to chapter 7. These chapters are written in Aramaic. And chapter 1 and chapter 8 through 12 is written in Hebrew. And interestingly enough, the historic section of Daniel is from chapter 1 through 6, and the prophetic section of Daniel is from chapter 7 through 12. So, now let's talk about something else that is called uh, chiastic or concentric uh, chiasm. Uh, I already talked to you about the Aramaic and Hebrew section and historic and prophetic section. Now we will notice that how these chapters are related. Here we have a prophetic vision, chapter 2 and chapter 7. And then from chapter 7 and chapter 12 we have the same prophetic vision. Here we have the deliverance from the uh, fiery furnace and deliverance from the lion's den. And then we have a judge, uh, deliverance here, chapter 11, uh, 18 and 11, and we have judgment here for a, uh, a Gentile king and judgment for another Gentile king. So you will see that chapter 2 and 7, 3 and 6, 4 and 5 are related, and these belong to the Aramaic section, and these ones will uh, belong to the prophetic section and Hebrew section. We are going to go back and forth every chapter trying to see uh, the relationship uh, and the connection between every chapter. Uh, okay, now there's another thing that we, uh, I want to share with you. Here, you will see that 
chapter 1 through 6, even though they are not prophetic, they are typologic. What does it mean? It does means, okay, even though chapter 2, 3, that speaks about, you know, the three Hebrew young people? That uh, huge image, and everybody is forced to worship that image, and they didn't want to worship it? You will see that that same story will appear in Revelation 13 when everybody will be forced to worship the image and only those who do not have the mark in the hand on their forehead, they will not worship that image because they will worship both. That is the same situation. This is a typological uh, uh, story. And the same thing happens here with chapter 6, and every one of them has uh, something related for, with the future. Okay, now let's talk about the message of Daniel. What is the message, the central message of Daniel? Okay, I can tell you that everything in Daniel moves toward the end. Every chapter, everything that in Daniel it is moving toward the end. And so the end for Daniel, it's a very important uh, message that we have to understand. Okay, the word end, you know, in Daniel, he uses a word, uh, the end. Oh, it's a shame that he didn't catch uh, the Hebrew words here, but uh, it's at least it's, uh, translated uh, etkets. In Hebrew, etkets means the end. And in Daniel, it's used 14 times out of 20, uh, 32 in the whole Old Testament. In 12 chapters, the word etkets in Hebrew, that means the end, it's used 14 times out of 32 in the whole testament. So that word is very important in the book of Daniel, and we will see repeated everywhere in the in the book. But not only the word, but the concept is everywhere throughout the whole book of Daniel. Now the question um, we are going to use of practice one. Uh, method of studying the Bible. I want to share you with you. Please open your Bibles, book of Daniel, chapter 1. And this is called the theological method for studying, studying the Bible. Okay. This is how it works, the theological method. When you read the Bible, you have to come with one question. Now, just for the sake of training, Read chapter 1, and chapter, uh, chapter one, verse 1 and 2, and ask yourself where the concept of idea of the end is here in these two verses. Let's read them. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylon and put into the treasure house of his God. Okay. The question is, where is the concept of idea of the end in these verses? Can anybody help me? Okay, they have been besieged, so something is happening there. What else? What is the end? The idea or concept of the end, yes. Oh. Okay, it's going to be delivered into a gentile hands. Okay, here, if you see, this is the end of the kingdom of Judah. You got it? Because who destroyed it? Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. So the, just the starting of the book is speaking about the end. The end of whom? 
the end of the kingdom of, uh, of Judah, of the nation, the Hebrew nation. They are taken into captivity. Okay, but now we can ask, where is the end in Daniel? Let's say chapter 2, where we find the end, the ideal concept of the end. You remember the huge image? The head of gold, then arms of silver, then bronze, and then iron, and then? And what happened? At the end, a stone comes and what? Destroys the image and a new world, a new kingdom is established. So the end is at the end of the statue when it is destroyed and God established a new kingdom that will last forever. And then if we go here to chapter 3, it's speaking about the end. Of the end of whom? The end of those who believe and those who are faithful, this is a different end. What happened those for, of, with those who were faithful? They were delivered from the fighting furnace. And what happened to those to throw them, to throw them inside the furnace? They were killed. They were destroyed. So we, it's talking about two different ends. The same happened here in chapter 6. What happened with those who throw Daniel into the lion's den? They were destroyed. And what happened with Daniel? He was saved. Yeah, that's the different end. The end of the faithful and the, the end of those who are not faithful. And then chapters 5 and 6 is speaking about the end. First, what will happen to those Gentiles, unbelievers, who accept Jesus? Happened with uh, Nebuchadnezzar's dream. He became a madman, but afterward he recognized God and praised God, and he was saved. But what happened to Belshazzar? Your kingdom was counted, and you have been wanted, and what happened? And then your kingdom will be destroyed. That's the destiny of those unbelievers who do not accept Jesus. And then, in chapter 7, we will notice the same story but now with beasts, a lion, and then a bear, and then a leopard, and then an indescriptible beast. And then what happened? The kingdom is handed toward the holy people of God. So the end will be with establishment of a kingdom. The same thing. Chapter 8, speaking about the beginning of the end, until 2,300 days, <coughs> then the sanctuary will be cleansed. And we will continue, but here in chapter 12, we will find the end of the end. But the end is important because at the end something is happening. And what is going to happen at the end of time? What? Judgment. Now, let's talk about judgment. And let's read chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Where is judgment in chapter uh, 1, verse 1 and 2? Ask your uh, again that question. What is judgment? Read verse 2. Anybody? What verse 2 says? And the Lord gave Jehoiakim into his hand. Who is handing the kingdom of Judah and the king of Judah into the hands of the king of Babylon? God. What it, is, it means? Judgment. That is judgment. God, for more than 400 years, 
since time of David and Solomon, have to bear with the infidelity, the apostasy of his people. And after more than 400 years, finally, God say, enough is enough. Your opportunity is finished. Now I'm going to hand in to purify you. And the Lord then is bringing judgment. Now, where is judgment here? Chapter 2, the same question. The judgment comes when the, 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 the rock destroys what? The image. Where is uh, chapter 3? The judgment. We need notice two different kind of judgments. Earthly judgment. Accusing and handing to destruction to the faithful ones. If you don't worship the image, you will be thrown into the fiery furnace. This is an earthly judgment. But divine judgment inverts the decision of the judgment of the human uh, judgment. And God saves his people. The same thing happened here in chapter 6. But what happened in chapter 4 and chapter 5? Now it's divine judgment. And in chapter 7, you will notice that there's a, a scene of the judgment when Daniel sees in heaven a huge white throne and, uh, and God seated on that throne and millions of millions of angels worshiping God and serving God. And then he say, it says, chapter 7, Verse 9, 9 and 10. I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was pure like, uh, like pure gold. His throne was a fiery flame, his wheels a burning fire, a fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousand ministered to him, ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were open. We are talking about a what? A judgment day. So, chapter 7, that is the reason that is the center of the two chiastic structures because the end and the judgment is in the center of the book. In chapter 8, we will find that this is the prophecy about the starting of the process of the judgment. 1844 is in chapter 8. In chapter 9, it's a judgment for the uh, Hebrew nation, giving them an, another opportunity to be restored. Chapter 10, 11, and 12 are speaking about the same uh, aspect. Okay, but the judgment is important because in that moment everything will be inverted. We were judged, we were accused, we were thrown, we were destroyed as believers of God, persecuted, but the Lord will change and will bring a righteous judgment for his people and for the unrighteous ones. But, you know, in order to wait for the end when this comes, we have to, what? To wait. Then the other concept in the book of Daniel is the wait. In order to participate at the end of the judgment, a clear and righteous judgment, you have to wait. And you know, this is not an easy matter. We are, usually, we like to have things right now. Everything right now. Fast food. Rest just to watch and wear. Not ironing anymore. Yeah. So we, think, we want things, yeah. Immediately, right now, now. But the message of the book of Daniel is you have to wait. 
and you have to learn to wait. Now, let's ask the question, where is the concept of wait in the book of Daniel? Okay, you see, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, we are talking about 606 before Christ, and now you will see chapter 1, verse 21, chapter 1, verse 21, let's read it. What it says? And Daniel remained there until when? The first king of King Cyrus. Okay, you know what date is? Okay, third year of Jehoiakim is 606 before Christ. First year of King Cyrus is 536 before Christ. We are talking about what? 70 years. So Daniel had to wait 70 years to see that the promise given to his people was fulfilled. This is a lot of waiting, no? And now the question is, we want things right now. In chapter 2, we notice that we will uh, speak about that later, but chapter 3 and 6, you know, people want things immediately, right now. You watching me now. And they, uh, the, the three young people say, I will not worship you. We will worship God. We will wait until worship God. Okay. Now, for those who want to wait, we need to understand. We are talking about the soon coming of Jesus. We are talking about the, the end is near. We are talking about that almost everything is finished. No, we have to understand. If we see the statue... We have seen that the Babylonian king is gone, Middle Persia kingdom is gone, Greek kingdom is gone, Imperial Rome, Papal Rome, Eschatologic Rome is on the, in the process. And if we see this statue, we can see that we are living in the age of the nails of the toes of the statue. Before what? The stone is coming to destroy it. But we have to see that we are living here in the end of time. The time of the end started in 1798 when the 1260 years were finished, when the prophecy of the 2300 years ended in 1844, when the investigative judgment uh, started and will end at the end of the time of grace, that it will be in the end of time. So we have to learn to wait. We are very clear, very close to the moment that Christ's second coming is early, very, very soon. And we have to wait. We have to learn to wait. And there is a blessing here. Blessed, oh, blessed is the one who waits for and reaches the end of 13, 33 days. And the word for waits, it's a, a very interesting word in, in Hebrew, haka. Haka means to wait something with hope, with excitement, because you know that it's real and that you are going to receive it, but you have to wait, because if you wait, you will receive what you are expecting. Yes. That is the reason that says, blessed is the one who waits. And we are Adventists. And why are we Adventists? Because we are waiting for what? Christ's second coming. And we are blessed because we are waiting for his coming. Okay, but you know, this kind of wait is not a wait like uh, some people like to have. Waiting while the Lord is coming in a hammock in Cancun, uh, drinking his coconut juice. I'm waiting, waiting for the Lord. No. 
is not waiting in a hammock, uh, in a uh, rocking chair, or in, or in a lazy boy watching TV, waiting trivient, uh, waiting for uh, Jesus coming. No, this kind of wait is different, and we have to learn to wait in the way the Lord is uh, telling us that the wait is in the midst of what? It's war. We are in the midst of war. But our war is not only with human people, but who? With heavenly beings that are trying to destroy us in very different ways. Okay. Continuing our practice in this method, theological method, ask the question, where is war in Daniel? And now let's read again chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Daniel 1, chapter 1 and 2. Where is war? And Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and what? Besieged. And what happened? And along, uh, he took uh, Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. And some articles from the temple of God, this he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylon and put in the treasure house of his God. You know, even says that his God in Babylon, in the Hebrew it says in the in Sinar. Babylon and Jerusalem, you know, the two words are very uh, important and very uh, it's called uh, uh, let me try to find that word. It's typological. They are typological. Because in Revelation you will notice the New Jerusalem and you, you notice and you speak about the Babylon, the mother of all the other ones. So this struggle is very meaningful. And the struggle is from the king of Judah, the kingdom of Judah, and Sinar, the kingdom in Babylon. Sinar, it's a very meaningful word because it remembers something that happened in that uh, valley. What happened? Genesis chapter 11. The tower of what? Babel Tower. That's where came Babylon. Confusion. Okay. Now, the question is, uh, the war is not just between one kingdom and another kingdom. You know, this war affects us in a pers very personal way. Please, read the, the verse chapter 5. And the king, what happened? The king what? Assigned them or appointed it says in my version, the New King James Version. And you know, uh, the word uh, in Hebrew is a word that only is used for, uh, with God as the subject of that activity. So this king is taking or assuming the position of God and he is appointing or assigning them a diet. And Daniel knew that it was against his principles. And the three boys, you know, the uh, Hebrew tradition mentions that there were 70 uh, young people who were brought from, Babylon, uh, from Jerusalem to Babylon, but only four ones decided to be faithful. The other ones just gave up their faith. So, now Daniel is in a situation that he has to choose. The diet that, that was assigned by the king or choose the diet that was assigned by God in Eden. What we will choose. And you know, this is not only the problem of Daniel. This is our problem also. 
we have to decide what diet we will use. This, the diet of this world, fast food, Burger King, Big Macs, Pizza Hut, or use the diet that is prescribed by God in the Bible in the health reform for us. We have to decide. And you know, the result is not seen immediately. That's the reason that Daniel asked for 10 days. Try us for 10 days, and you will notice the difference. And what was the difference after 10 days? They were what? More healthy, bright. Okay. If you follow the diet of this world, when you come to 40 and 50, cholesterol, what else? High blood pressure, diabetes, strokes. This is the result. When you follow God's diet, you will come to the age of 70 and 80, and you're still running, young and healthful. This is the word that you have to decide. But there's something else. Chapter, uh, verse 7 says, the chief official gave them what? New names. You know, in the Bible, when a name is given to somebody, it's to describe his character or a, a, a special feature of that person. And the reason that God, God gave them different new names, you see, uh, these were Hananiah, Daniel means my God is my judge, Hananiah, God is gracious, Mishael is servant of the Lord, and Azariah, God is my helper. All of them have the ending, El, it's uh, the divine name, Ia is the Yahweh, is the ending for Yahweh. El, ending of uh, God, the, the, like Elohim. And Azariah, always also with the ending of the divine God, Yahweh. And now, the name given to them is Belshazzar. Belteshazzar, okay. Bel is the name of the king of Babylon. Bel is the same like Baal, and you know who is Baal. And Mesach, there's another name for the, the, the moon. Azariah Abednego means a servant of Nebo, another uh, god of Babylon. So he tried to change not only their names, but their what? Their characters. And what happened? Please read verse 8. Verse 8, but Daniel what? Proposed in his heart that he will not what? Dehide himself from the portion of the king, as king the, the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested the chief of the eunuchs that he may not defile himself. A different diet. He proposed not to defile himself. To be... Uh, Keep him pure, his mind, his body, his spirit, everything. Because he recognized that he had a body that is temple of the Holy Spirit. Okay. Now, we can see the war everywhere. Starting from chapter 2, chapter 1, chapter 2, we see the struggle. Uh, chapter 3, we also see that the deliverance came from a struggle, and then the judgment also struggle against God. S chapter 7, we see the war, chapter 8, and from chapter 7 through 12, we see war, continuous war, but not only a war among kingdoms, but as in Daniel chapter 7, verse 25, please read with me what happened, what uh, is mentioned here, chapters, is talking about a small uh, horn, and he will shall speak pompous word against the most high, shall persecute what? The saints of the most holy, and what? And he shall intend to change these uh, times and law, 
and the saint shall be given into his hands for a time and times and half of the time. And we read, if we read back, this it's mentioned also that the saints of the Holy One will be crushed, smashed, trodden. This is the war everywhere. But now let's look at chapter 12, verse 1, because the end is coming and that end is important because judgment and the end of the world will be finished, but the end of the world is not going to be easy. <coughs> Chapter 12, verse 1 says, At that time, what? Michael, Michael the great prince who protects your people, what, what happened? <coughs> will arise. There will be a time of distress such as not happen, uh, has happened from the beginning of nature until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, what will happen? Then, Michael appears. What Michael means? Michael, Mikael in Hebrew, is an expression. In the Hebrew expression, it means, who is like God? Who is like God? Mikael. Is the same word as Mika Yahweh. Who is like God? It's an expression of awesome, of wonder. Who is like our God? And you know, the person, Michael, is in all the book of Daniel. But it's very elusive. Let's ask the question, where is Michael in the Bible? Where do you find Michael in chapter 1? Chapter 1, verse 1. Verse 2. The Lord handed the king into the hands of the king of Babylon. That is Michael. Where is chapter, Michael in chapter 2? Is the stone coming and destroying? Where is Michael in chapter 3? How many were in the fiery furnace? Three, and then? There's Michael. According to his promise, I will, do, I will be with you in time of distress. And he said, I am with you always until the end of the world. Where's Michael in chapter 4? You only see his what? His hand writing on the wall. Where's Michael in chapter 5? Chapter 5 is where they're uh, writing, yes. Chapter 4 is the one who, uh, yes. Chapter 6, where is Michael there? In the lion's den. Closing the mouth of the lions with Daniel. Where is Daniel? Uh, is with Michael in chapter 7? No. Ch verse, chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. Chapter 7. Ben Ha Adam, the son of man. Do you remember that expression, the son of man? Who used it? Jesus. Where he got that expression from Daniel 7. I am the son of man who is before the presence of God, making the intercession for you always. Where is Michael in chapter 8? 
Is the little horn making war against the prince or princess? Where is Daniel in chapter 9? In the middle of the week. In one cross. Hanging across. For you and me. Michael is in the cross of Calvary. Chapter 9. In the middle of the week. The offering will be ceased. Because he made an offering once and for all. Where is Michael in chapter 11? Chapter 10. He's talking to Daniel. But now, in chapter 12, let's read Daniel chapter 12. At that time, who, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will what? Arise. And you know, that word in Greek, in Hebrew, is a very meaningful word. He will stand up. Michael was sitting at the right hand of God, interceding for his people. But at the end of time, he will what? Arise, stand up. Enough is enough. It's time to come to pick my people and take them back home. That's the reason that he will arise and there will be a what? A time of distress. It's not going to be easy at the end, my, friend, my brethren. It's going to be a time of distress. That expression is very interesting. It's sada. Sada means when the women are in birth pangs and it's almost suffering, push, push, and I cannot, I cannot, push, push, almost, almost, a little bit more, push, push. The bird bangs, oh, sweating, desperate, feeling a lot of pain, but suddenly something is delivered. A cry is heard. And that cry is like heaven for that mother. When she receives that little boy, that little baby, into her breast and presses back to her, it was worth the pain. It was worth the pain. Now, you are with me. You are alive. That is the same expression here. A time of distress, but they will be what? The same expression when the little boy comes out. A time of trouble. Time. And what will happen? Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake. For you, my brother, who are sick with a lung or a cancer problem. For you who were trodden down, accused, mistreated, abused. For those who went to the dust of the earth and there was no answer for them. That is the time when Michael, the prince, the great prince, that one who is like God, will come and multitudes of those who sleep in the dust of the world will what? Will awake. And that time, with all his angels will come and will say, stand up. Stand up all those who are in the dust of the earth and rise to life. In that moment, when all the people from all the countries, from all nations, from all races, will come together with Jesus and will join with him 
and we'll praise his name. And when we enter into heaven, and when we see that all things are changed, that God has given us what we waited, what God has given us, the kingdom that belongs to us. And he will say, welcome home, children. This is the place I prepare for you. And you will say, it was worth the pain. It was worth to be faithful. It was worth to keep, like Daniel, pure, not defiled. It was worth to keep the faith. It was worth to be faithful to his word and to his promises. My brother, I want to ask you, who wants to tell God, Lord, I want to be like Daniel. I want to be faithful until the end. I want to be faithful, waiting, no matter what. Who will raise your hand and say, Lord, I am here. I want to be with you. Is there anyone who has not given or committed his life to Jesus who wants to say, Lord, I want to be part of that group also. Is there anyone here who wants to say, Lord, yes, I want to be also part of that group. I want to become of that part of that group that will receive you in the hands, in the clouds of heaven and say, this is our God. We have waited in him. He, he, he shall deliver us.